Well, I have to say, I am nothing if I'm not original. So I thought on this 4th of July weekend, I would focus our attention on um, freedom. (laughs) Who would have thought? But you know our story, our story of freedom. On July 4th, 1776, 56, brave men boldly signed this declaration declaring themselves to be independent of and free from England. In effect, they said, we will no longer be ruled by you. We will no longer depend on you. It was a gutsy move to say to the most powerful nation on earth that what was will no longer be. But bold declarations have to be more than just words. They often have to be followed by sacrifice and action. If you declare yourself to be free, then you must sacrifice and act in order to stay free. And so it was for the signers of the Declaration of Independence. You probably know some of their stories. Some fought in that great battle and lost their lives. Others lost their families. Others lost their fortunes and died in poverty. But for them, freedom was worth it. What is our freedom worth to us? Not political freedom. As good as that is, as great as it is to live in a free country, there's a greater freedom, a longer-lasting freedom, not dependent upon who leads a country, a freedom that can only be found in Christ. And so we have to ask ourselves, what will we do to be free in Christ What will we do to stay free in Christ? Because that's what you and I need to do, all of us in our lives, to be free in Christ and to stay free in Christ. So if you have your Bibles open, I ask you to turn in the New Testament to the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians. Chapter 2, verse 20, when you found your place, I'm going to ask you to stand so we can hear read together the word of the living God. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, this is the word of the Lord. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, Oh, for the truth that's contained in this short verse. We ask you, Spirit of God, to teach us your truth this morning about life, about freedom in you, about staying free in you. We pray that you would bless us with a life of true freedom in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. This verse could be called Paul's Declaration of Independence because in it, he is cutting ties with what was. What was is no longer. And it's a very bold statement that Paul makes here. He writes, I no longer live. That's a bold statement. Paul's saying, I'm dead. Christ lives in me. I live by faith 
in the Son of God. This is Paul's new reality of his new life. And it's a life lived by faith. And that faith, in turn, brings freedom. And so Paul is no longer willing to go back to the old ways, back to the way that it used to be. Look up in verse 18. Paul says, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I would really be a lawbreaker. For, though, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Paul, Paul doesn't want to go back to what was. Living by the law. Striving to please God. If you know anything about Paul, he was the arch overachiever. Attempting one heroic act for God after another just to win God's approval. He was chained in exhaustion to this treadmill that never stopped. But Paul knew from experience that there was no salvation in that way of living. And there was certainly no freedom in that way of living. And so now Paul is not willing to give up the freedom that he has experienced and felt in Christ. It feels too good. And so I think again of our founding fathers. It wasn't just a philosophy of freedom, which they sought. They certainly wanted that. But they longed equally for the, the feeling of freedom, the experience of freedom. Because they knew what it felt like not to be free. And so those emotions are, are captured in passionate words, such as those spoken by Patrick Henry before the Second Virginia Convention, March 23rd, 1775. He says, we have done everything that could be done to avert the storm which is now coming on. We have petitioned, we have remonstrated, we have supplicated, we have prostrated ourselves before the throne, we have implored. Our petitions have been slighted. Our remonstrances have produced additional violence and insult. Our supplications have been disregarded and we have been spurned with contempt from the foot of the throne. If we wish to be free, we must fight. Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, Almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, what? Give me liberty or give me death. You can feel the emotions behind these words. The experience of slavery is what made the founding fathers long for the freedom that they believed could be. What could freedom look like for you? Do you think about that? What true freedom could look like? Because if you don't have an idea in your mind of what that freedom might look like, then you won't long for it. And you won't fight to keep it. You know, John Milton has famously and at great length posited that paradise was lost. Anybody read Paradise Lost? Woo, it's long. It's true. Paradise was lost. But I think the, the greatest aspect of what was lost in paradise was freedom. Adam and Eve were free in their relationship with God. 
Adam and Eve had absolutely nothing to fear when God came to walk with them and talk with them in the cool of the day. They could actually look forward to those times with God with great anticipation. Because at that point in time, there was no looming, wait till your father gets home. (laughs) Feeling of dread hanging over them. When your father gets home, he's going to fill in the blank. So what does the child learn? The child certainly doesn't learn to look forward to dad coming home, but the child might learn to pray, Lord, please let dad's car break down. Lord, please let him be called away on a business trip. Just don't let him come home. But that's not the way it was for Adam and Eve. We can hardly hardly believe that before sin, no construct, no paradigm existed in the human mind or heart for fearing God or for not wanting to be near him. Isn't that amazing? Adam and Eve had this wide open relationship with God. That's what was lost. That kind of freedom between God and his people. Adam and Eve in the garden, they were just free in general. One of the most descriptive verses of their freedom is Genesis chapter 2, 25. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, you and I are so not free that this is just a little bit awkward, right? (laughs) When this verse is read, oh dear, we cannot think of Adam and Eve like that. It's, It's indecent, it's immodest, but God did not view it that way. That's just how free God created his people to be naked and unashamed. I know we've made a big business out of Clothes, but in reality, clothes were the first restrictors of freedom. It was their first response, immediate response to the first sin, as Scripture presents it, is this. Eve gave some of the forbidden fruit to her husband, Adam, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. In that moment, the beautiful freedom was gone. Clothes were just to make the best of a bad situation. That's the kind of freedom that was lost in paradise. So you and I should know what that freedom looked like so that we can long to have that kind of freedom again so that we don't instinctually cover up and hide in shame. That's what what we do. To live free and wide open relationships with God and with others. That's the kind of freedom for which you and I should yearn. The freedom of the garden. That's what we should be passionate to experience. More passionate than Patrick Henry. Give me freedom in Christ or give me death. I long to have it. We don't have time to survey the entire Old Testament this morning. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Woo! But suffice it to say that it's full of both the imagery and the reality of slavery and chains. Freedom lost. But then we come to the letter that Paul writes to the Galatians. And in this letter, you know, we hear an impassioned Paul. 
And he's writing about finding what was lost, freedom in Christ. Paul is writing about staying free in Christ and never going back to slavery. So let's just do a a flyby survey of Galatians. Do you have your Bibles open with you still? Follow along. Go with me as we, we do this overview. Because this is how important it is to Paul to be free in Jesus and to stay free in Jesus. So Galatians chapter 1 verse 3, his introductory remarks, Paul puts the gospel front and center. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. So here's our rescue. Here's our freedom in Christ. Now look in verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel at all. See, here are people going back into slavery instead of moving forward in freedom in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 4. Paul writes of false brothers who infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. Be free in Jesus. Stay free in Jesus. Chapter 2 continues. And now Paul tells Peter's story. Peter, the most famous, the most influential and powerful preacher of the gospel, Peter, for a moment, let go of the freedom of the gospel and allowed himself to be enslaved once again to the law. Look in chapter 2, verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and to separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. goes on to say that even Barnabas was led astray. So listen, people of God. Here are two pillars of the church, Peter and Barnabas. Both of them letting go of freedom for a moment, not staying free in Christ. Interestingly enough, it's Peter who quotes from Proverbs in his second letter. And this is the proverb he quotes. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. That's our nature. So you and I can't take for granted staying in Jesus. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Verse 3, are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Translation, why are you going back into slavery? Chapter 3, verse 23, before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Freedom in Christ. Chapter 4, verse 8. 
Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Chapter 5, verse 1. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And finally, Galatians 5, 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free. Do you get the point Paul is so passionate about? You and I are meant to be free in Christ and we're meant to stay free in Christ. Freedom is God's plan for his people. That's supposed to be good news. Freedom is God's plan for his people. But if, if we don't realize that we are not free, and if we don't realize what we can have, then Jesus' offer won't be appealing to us. When he says, so, if the Son sets you free, you will be free, what? Indeed. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. If we don't realize that we aren't free, what difference does that make to us? It would be like offering ice to an Eskimo. It would be like me piling electric blankets here. Say, come on, come forward, get one, wrap up, warm up. It's cold in here. No, nobody would want to do it. Nobody would want to do it. We need the freedom that Jesus offers. Jesus does not want us to deceive ourselves. He does not want us to believe that we are what we are not. And we're not free apart from him. And denying the truth won't help us. That's what the Jews did. The Jews that Jesus said these words to. They said to Jesus, we are Abraham's descendants. And we have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? See, they didn't, they didn't know their own reality. They weren't talking about political freedom. They knew their own story. They'd been slaves in Egypt. They'd been slaves in Babylon and, and, and the Persians and the Syrians had enslaved them. And now they were slaves to Rome. They are speaking spiritually. And they were not free because they demanded God on their own terms, their own prideful terms. And there's no freedom in that because God is not in that. And denying their spiritual reality won't help them. Neither will it allow them to live the free life that God has for them. Neither will denying the reality help us. Look, Shrek, Shrek can say all day long, what green skin? But that does not make his skin not green, does it? We can delude ourselves. We can dismiss the truth that Jesus speaks as the Jews did. But that won't make the chains go away. We can believe that our free thinking and our free living makes us free. But that won't make the chains go away. We can hop on board with our culture and say, ah, there is no right or wrong. But that won't make the chains go away. You and I still won't be free to be free. You and I have to make the bold declaration that Paul makes here. 
I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's the source of Paul's freedom. He's free from himself. He's been crucified with Christ. It's the only way to freedom. The old self has to die. Do you know that? The old self has to die. The gospel does not come to fix us up and to make a new and improved version of what we were. That's not the gospel. The old must be done away with. Paul knows this, so he writes, I have been crucified. I, Paul, have been put to death. I no longer live. Jesus comes to to kill us. You know what? Jesus comes to kill us. The former self anyway. And to make us new creations, free creations, his creations. That's the way that it, it must be. And you and I have all read enough where we've seen enough spy thrillers to recognize this formula. There's only one way for the spy, who no longer wants to be a spy, to live happily ever after without constantly looking over his shoulder in fear. And what is that way? We've seen it over and over. Well, the spy has to believably fake his own death, right? Oh, he's dead. And he's got to take on a new identity because the old self cannot live and be free. It's the same thing with us. The old self cannot live and, or we will not be free. Our new life and a new way by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. That's the way it must be. Here is true freedom. And it's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. Jesus loved. Jesus gave. And so you and I are not bound by our own abilities. We're not limited by our own disabilities to work our way to freedom. By faith, we know it's ours and we are free. We're free from struggle. Free from striving to attain the relationship with God that was lost in paradise. And God makes provision For that kind of freedom in Christ. In Christ, we are free. You got it? So if we're free, and we are in Christ, how are we going to stay free in Him? That's what I want us to consider as we finish up this morning. Here's how. Paul declares this in verse 20. Christ lives in me. That is amazing. Christ lives in me. Sermon upon sermon could be written and preached about this one truth. What theologians call our union with Christ. And still we cannot fully understand the mystery of Christ in us. But understand it or not, know this. This is our hope right here. This is our hope. It's our only hope for being free. It's our only hope For staying free, it's our only hope for not going back into slavery. It's living our lives from the Christ life within us. 
famous, systematic theologian, Louis Burkhoff. His systematic the- theology is a classic in seminaries. He defines union with Christ as that intimate, vital, and spiritual union between Christ and his people in virtue of which he is the source of their life and strength of their blessedness and salvation. That's Christ in us. Everything. A.A. Hodge, distinguished chair of systematic theology at Princeton University, 1878, writes this of our union with Christ. It so far transcends all the analogies of earthly relationships. In the intimacy of its communion, in the transforming power of its influence, in the excellencies of its consequences. The Heidelberg Confession, question 20, puts it this way. Though my conscience accuse me that I have grievously sinned against all the commandments of God and kept none of them, and am still inclined to all evil, yet God without any merit of mine, of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ as if I had never had nor committed any sin and myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me if only I accept such benefit With a believing heart. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? All that Christ has done is credited to us. This is union with Christ. His perfect righteousness given to us. John Calvin writes, you know, when I quote Burkhoff, Hodges, the Heidelberg Catechism, and John Calvin, this is serious business, all in one sermon. All in one sermon. Here's what John Calvin writes. We must understand. This is really a warning. A warning. We must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. All that he possesses is nothing to us until we grow into one body with him. If you want to be free, if you want to stay free, you have to have union with Christ. There is no real freedom for you or me or for anyone else as long as we keep Christ on the outside. An object to be examined or discussed or debated, we have got to, by faith, embrace Christ and be joined to him, Christ in us and us in Christ. That's what scripture says. And so when you and I talk about getting closer to Jesus, you know, we talk about that. Oh, I just need to get closer to Jesus. I'm not really sure how you're going to do that. Because the truth of Scripture says that by faith, Christ already lives in us. And that's what we celebrate right here this morning. Look right here at this table. It's a demonstration of this incomprehensible reality that Christ is in us. 
And so we come to the table and we take the cup and we take the bread and we eat and we drink. And we are united with Christ. Christ in us and us in Christ. Just that close. But here's where the sacrifice comes in. The sacrifice is necessitated by bold statements. Again, I'll say it to you and to me. We must die to ourselves. The old way of thinking, the old way of living, the old way of coming to God on our own merit, or the old way of being independent from God. Don't, don't, don't even need God. Whatever that old way is, has got to die. But the old self wants to live. The old self wants to live. It wanted to live again in Peter. Peter, I want to live in you. Go back into slavery. Barnabas, I want to live again in you. Go back into slavery. No. So you and I won't win the battle of being free in Christ and saying free in Christ just by declaring it. We've actually got to fight the battle because the same one who tempted Adam and Eve to give away their freedom, he'll tempt us to give our freedom away as well. And so real battles have to be fought in our lives so that we don't go back, so that we stay free in Christ. And if you're going to stay free in Christ, you better do this. You better preach the gospel to yourself every single day of your life. You better make this bold declaration every single day of your life. I'm crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But we've got to be more than bold declarers. We have to be great sacrificers as well, denying ourselves every day. Daily, daily living our life from Christ's life in us. He is the vine. We are the branches that intimately connected to him. I'm closing by saying this, and then I'm done. Five times in this verse, Paul writes, I or me. God loved me. Christ gave himself for me. And so I've got to tell you this. The love of God is for you personally. The sacrifice of Christ is for you personally, when you have faith. But faith can't be someone else's. It's got to be yours. It's not someone else who must be crucified with Christ. It's you. It's not someone else who must live united to Christ. It's you. And then it will be not someone else who is set free. It is you who will be free and you who will stay free. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I'm reminded of the thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of preachers who have sought to communicate this profound reality to God's people, of which they are all a part. We try to find words, we try to find propositional truths to state and to convince people. And Father, that's right and that's good because you've communicated to us through your written word. But what we need, Lord, is your spirit to join 
these words, especially these weak words of mine. That's why we have to depend on the ancient and the dead theologians. They say it so much better. But Lord, I do ask that your spirit would be at work among us and and take this truth and drive it deeply into our hearts that your spirit would reveal to us people who are not free what real freedom can look like. We don't have to live in slavery. We don't have to live in bondage to sin. Even after we come to faith in you, Lord, still in so many ways we're enslaved in our lives and it doesn't have to be that way. Lord, we can be free. We can be free in you and we can stay free in you. For we remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel, which tells us our, your love for us is unconditional. We don't merit it. No matter how good we are, Lord, it doesn't make you love us more. No matter how bad we are, it doesn't make you love us less when we are in Christ. It's just the reality. Lord Jesus, of who you are and what you've done, you lived the perfect, sinful life. You bore the curse of sin. You took it on our behalf and you freely give to us all that you have accomplished. And Lord, here I'm doing it again, trying to convince. But Spirit, we pray that you would make these truths a reality in our hearts and our lives. And Father, if there are those here this morning who have never come to faith in you, I pray, Spirit of God, now that you would be at work changing their heart. Give them a longing for freedom, real freedom that can be found in you. A new life, a better life, a life of faith and love. A life of of blessedness in you. So do your work in them now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.